podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Mitz. Today, we are continuing for the second week our season previews for the Kansas football opponents. Up next is the Oklahoma State Cowboys, and to help me do that is my colleague over at the 1012 Podcast, Philip Slavin. Philip, how are you doing today? I'm good, man. I am. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm tired, but I'm good. I'm tired yeah. of saying that I'm tired, you know? Like, I feel bad about doing that all the time, but... <sighs> Hey, ready, there's been a for lot of stuff going on. Right, right. A can lot I, of stuff just, going on. I want to say something I don't want to admit, but it is true. Um, the luster of this season is gone a little bit. Like, That's as excited as we were for just a normal freaking football season after COVID 2020 year. COVID back on the rise. Realignment to the topic. Eight teams sitting here fretting about what's going to happen to them, and they probably won't have a decision until after the season. Like, I'm ready for games just to have something else to talk about. Because even previews, I'm like, okay, let's just, like, okay, we've been doing that for months. Let's just get to an actual game to, like, sit and break down and be like, I can't believe that person kicked a field goal on second down, right, right. things of that nature. Like, I'm ready for that, but I'm also, like, the excitement level is – has dimmed a little bit. I hope that's not that way for everybody. And it's just grumpy old me who's had a really busy month, but here we are nonetheless. Well, we'll look trying to launch a podcast network right in the middle of realignment talk when you had no idea it was coming. I mean, that, that was a bad move on your part, Philip, you should have waited or, or you should have done it earlier. No, I'm joking. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it, yeah. it's, it's, it's definitely one of those things too, where I almost think though, if that news is going to drop about realignment, that, that this might be the best time because otherwise, like if it had dropped right after the last football season, we would have spent eight months talking about it and then trying to figure out the implications of it. And sure. It would have had like us talking about the exact same thing over and over and over again for eight months. And it probably would have drove some really good numbers, but it also would have been us saying the exact same things while we were trying to figure out what's going on. At least in this time frame, Now we have other things that, that are somewhat important, but I do agree with you that this season kind of lost some of the luster because you know, I like, especially Iowa State fans were looking at, man, is this the year that we finally win the Big 12 and get bragging rights over Oklahoma for, you know, a couple years and, and try to make this a super competitive league for the next four or five years? And instead, it's can we win one before they leave and there is no more Big 12 anymore? And and that's kind of kind of uh, sad and, and disheartening. But, you know, we're at we're, we are where we are. There's not much that we can do about it. And honestly, there's still games to be played this year. So we've got to kind of figure out how to make the best of it so far for this year. And I, that's where I've come to. That's like the the acceptance I've gotten to is that, yeah, this sucks for everybody that's not Oklahoma and Texas. Um, but we still have games to play. We still have to talk about this schedule. And to be honest, this is probably an audition for a lot of these teams to try to you know build some positive momentum to see if it can even, like, it, it's not one of those things where like having a really good season this year by itself can get you into a good spot. But it definitely, there are some teams that need to make a statement this year to make sure that there's actually optimism for their team moving into whatever they could potentially move into. I'm not sure. It sounds really good. And that thought has rolled through my head. But I'm not sure the more I think about it that I buy that at all. Um, well, I guess it I depends it on can, which well, team. I, I think it can if you're Iowa State and 
you're showing that the program is continuing to grow and continuing its momentum upward under, under Matt Campbell. But I would also counter that by saying Iowa State is in the unique position of having so many freaking super seniors who have come back to this team that wouldn't normally have been wouldn't have normally come back this year if not for the extra eligibility due to COVID. That I'm not sure that's even like I almost think to some extent you have to treat 2021 similar to how we were supposed to treat 2020 and kind of like it wasn't a normal season. So how much can we realistically take away from it? Right. Like, I think there are elements of look how good we are, but how often have we, like I, how often have we seen programs that have had great years? Teams have great seasons. Teams have seasons. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be good moving forward. How many head coaches got to power five jobs, did something great in a year. And now they're on the hot seat two years later. Purdue, Louisville, yada, 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 yada. So I, I, I'm not sure I buy that as much. I do think it's for the fan bases, it's a time for you to galvanize yourselves and be more supportive than you have ever been. Like fill the stadiums up, tune into every game from start to finish. Like if we're going to have national writers pointing at TV numbers – Right, right. Just the, the numbers. Group of eight. Like then, then all right. That's what we're going to base it. Now I don't think Fox and ESPN are reading Stuart Mandel going. Yeah, you know what? He's right. Like they have their own data that they're going to rely on. Right. They're going to have like I don't think that stuff matters. It's just and and, and I utmost respect as I keep saying to the athletic. I love their stuff. I pay for it. It's one of the only things that are worth paying for. I, I pay for way too many though. Um, but like the response from the fans needs to be like all right, we'll show you. And just completely outpouring of support and showing up to everything, no matter how bad your team is. And that right. even means to like Kansas. Like I get it. Basketball season is going to start and in November. You're going to be like, I mean, we could go watch Kansas lose another game or we could go watch the J- the basketball team. But like, I still think you've got fans are going to have to just kind of suck it up, swallow watching the team that may not be as good at the end of the year and sticking by them because that's going to be about the only thing I think that might have a minor bit of influence. And even that in one single year, one piece of data, a trend does not make. Right. Yeah. I mean, you need multiple. I, I think in Kansas case specifically, they've been so bad for so long and you know, the, like they've, when there's been any room for excitement, the number, the TV numbers, the attendance numbers, all of that has jumped when there's any kind of hope. And so what, what you have to hope for is that something similar happens with Leipold getting this particular team, you know, to, to outperform, I think, what a lot of the expectations are, whether that's additional wins or just being super competitive that gets fan bases, you know, hoping for the future. And that turns into potential, you know, increases in TV numbers and all that stuff. I think Kansas has been so bad for so long that it's not really that difficult to show that if they get even marginally better, that the numbers are going to be better. And so like, that's, that's Kansas biggest hope in terms of, of how to use this season to show that football isn't going to be such a big drag because you have to assume that now that they have a competent head coach, that something's going to change. It may not, you know, they may never get to the point where they're going to a bowl game every season or anything like that, but at least it will be respectable enough that people will actually be willing to come and watch it. And then that's the big hope. I do agree though, for some of these other teams, it's it's difficult to see what value you're going to get out of a single season, especially a team like, I don't know, like, like TCU um, or even Oklahoma state, like Oklahoma state has been very consistently good for so long and have good engagement numbers that 
unless you like double that this year, which I don't even know if that's possible to double engagement numbers for Oklahoma State, it's not going to have a blip. You're, you're not going to be able to see much different to change the opinion that they have than what they already have right now. The networks, 80s, these people have data for, for years. Like they're going to yep. have the data that matters that's going to have an impact. I would just tell everybody like, go crazy. Like enjoy this year. Like really do. Because we don't know what the future holds and we don't know what is going to happen to everybody. Um, these, these eight remaining teams. So yeah, you know, any so, win, wow. and, and I'm going to say this, I don't have, I think I have to tell you, and look, we are going to remain like the 10, 12 is a podcast that covers all 10 teams in the big 12 conference. That is all 10. Yes. That includes Texas and Oklahoma as yep. long as they're playing conference games. But if you think, but like, look, I'm, I am, I am realistic about what's going on. Like, Everybody not named Oklahoma and Texas, like you, you, you better. This is a this is a season to spend some money on season tickets. This is a season to make sure your your stadiums are packed to the brim, and loud and raucous and obnoxious and annoying. Like if ever there was a year to spend some money, and I realize everybody's still dealing with COVID shortfalls and so on and so on and so forth, and I really wish teams would whatever. But if ever there was a year to be like, we're not going to have a half empty stadium. Like this would be this would be the year. This yeah, this is also going to be the year that everybody that's not Oklahoma or Texas or even Oklahoma and Texas versus each other uh, are going to thoroughly enjoy every single loss that those two teams have inside the conference. So I can guarantee you that, uh, you know, I, as a Kansas fan is going to be rooting for every single team. That's not Oklahoma or Texas when they play those Oklahoma and Texas teams. So we'll see how that works out. Obviously it probably won't change that much. It's not like you're going to have extra juice, uh, you know, that's going to change the results, but there will definitely be a bigger, I think, rooting interest, especially against those those Texas Longhorns for a lot of teams. Um, okay, I, I don't want to spend the entire time talking about realignment and all this stuff that we've gotten into. <laughs> Funny how that works where you explicitly say you don't want to spend a bunch of time on it, and then you spend the first 10 minutes of the podcast talking about it. So let's turn to the Oklahoma State Cowboys for this season. First of all, was there anything coming out of last season that you think is going to be of any use in terms of trying to evaluate this team or the direction of the program or anything like that? I mean, the defense was, um, we had been saying, and I had been saying since Jim Knowles had been hired, that it was going to be a, about a three-year process. Like they were going to have to change the recruiting. They were going to have to get players up to what he wanted to do. Like you were changing defensive philosophy and scheme. That takes time. It does. Um, and they went young. They played a lot of their younger defensive players when they showed up, a lot of freshmen that, we're hitting junior and senior years last year and this year. So it's been a building process. And in year three, we said, if this is going to work, we're going to know in, in year three, if it is or isn't. And year three, I think was a, a success. It was arguably the, at, at worst, the second best defense that Oklahoma state has put on the field under the Mike Gundy year. Um, I would argue 2013 is still the best. I know what 2011 was, but it was a little bit different. If we want to argue like best, which is it's very different. Um, and, and I think you come away from that going, they know what their identity is. They know what they want to do. It fits the, the Big 12 and facing Big 12 offenses. And they have the players. They have recruited to fit their defensive scheme. There's a lot of stuff when we can talk about recruiting rankings and all that. And this isn't me trying to make excuses of them not being able to crack like top 25 ever. But there is something to, if you look at the kinds of players they, they bring in, it's, it's, they bring in a lot of players who don't necessarily 
play the position that they want them to play. And they're looking for people who fit in players who fit an athletic mold and type and style to put at various positions. Um, so you look at that and you go, okay, I believe that this defense, they have recruited to the style they want. They have brought in the players that fit their scheme. I think is this defense going to, I don't, this is a situation like when we had Glenn Spencer before Jim Knowles, where Glenn Spencer came in in 2013, took over, and it was the best defense of the Oklahoma State Gundy era. And they got incrementally worse every year. I don't see this as a situation where they just happened to peak and got lucky and it's going to get worse every year. You might fluctuate year in and year out, depending upon where you have new players, where you are young, where you are old. But I, I do think the takeaway from last year is that Oklahoma State has made a definitive and significant shift in in its defense away from just being like many teams of big 12 were accused of being really good on offense and playing no defense and and they are settling in as one of the better defensive teams in the big 12 i think that is the big takeaway from last year honestly um if you want to point to any one thing we can look at things as far as like how they might affect this season but if you want to look at the program overall i think it's the defense has found its stride jim Knowles has this thing playing the way he wants and I don't expect if a drop off this season for there to be a major one. Yeah, that's fair. And and I think that's kind of actually kind of leads into us talking about this particular season, Um, you know, because it looks like it it was kind of uneven last year um, in terms. And and I think a lot of that had to do with potentially the the, the actual schedule they played going up against some really good offenses towards the end of the year. Um, You know, I mean, what what do you expect from this defense? So, like you said that it was getting better at the end of last year. Um, what, like what's changing this year? What do you, what do you expect to carry over defensively and which, which players do you think are going to step up to help improve the defense even more this year? Well, I don't, I don't know that I would say it got better as the year went on. It got beat up as the year went on and, and had to make adjustments. Um, I will continue to pound the table that Radarius Williams was the best corner in the big 12 this, last year. He just didn't put the stats up that proved it because nobody wanted to throw at him. Um, at all he just teams would not throw his way yeah, I mean that's the, there was def I would definitely agree he was one of the best because there were some other ones especially you know guys that in, in terms of unheralded like Karan Prunty freshman you know first team all-american freshman um, it's like there were some other really good cornerbacks but I, I would definitely agree that he was one of the best for sure he was our, I would say he's the most underrated because he didn't get the credit he was due but that's me I'm a fair, 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 fair whatever you can accuse me of orange gla- tinted glasses that's fine um, but you noticed last year, the way, like any defense, but the way it was, was Oklahoma State's defense was designed to be able to bring pressure wherever Jim Knowles wanted to. They had to be able to have one defensive player in the secondary play on an island. Had to be one guy you knew you could just stick out there and leave on his guy, and everyone else could play around and support and do whatever, and you would be fine. And that was Rodarius Williams. When you notice when Rodarius Williams got hurt and missed the last few games of the season, the defense wasn't quite as good. They didn't have that guy on an island at corner you could trust. Just know that, like, put him out there. Don't even worry about him. Don't even think about him. Don't give him help. He's good. Um, I don't know that they have that this year. I don't. Um, I like Jarek Bernard Converse. Um, I have seen various opinions on who will line up opposite him at corner, whether it's Christian Holmes in his second season after transferring from Missouri last year, who was good but inconsistent. Uh, I've seen the Jabbar Muhammad sophomore could end up taking that other spot. Uh, I think Corey Black's the guy. But there's a number of guys I just – I don't know – that they have a Rodarius Williams. I think Jared Bernard Converse is going to be really good, but I don't know if he is a, if he is that good. I don't know yet. Um, so this defense is going to have to shift somewhat. Who's playing on the island? Like where, who is the guy you're just like, we're going to leave him out there. And I think it shifts to the to the safeties. 
I think Oklahoma State has the best, deepest safety group in the Big 12. You return Colby Harrow Field, Trey Sterling, Tanner McAllister. You've got Thomas Harper playing over at safety now, who's a corner. Uh, like, they've got young guys and they have experience. Like, your three starters are seniors. Your three backups are juniors. Everybody behind them is like, you've got a couple of redshirt freshmen, but then you also have more juniors. Like, the depth and experience in, this, in the safety group is ridiculous. Trey Sterling is really dang good. Like if I, I am of the opinion that Oklahoma state might end up having a lockdown safety this year, as opposed to a lockdown corner. And that's how they make the adjustment. Um, Knowles likes to be pressure. That's how they do it. They have to have one guy who can be on his own. And if I had to pick a guy on this team where I'm like, that's going to be the lockdown. He's the guy who's going to play on his own on an Island and be fine. It's Trey Sterling. Yeah. I was to say, I think the only concern about a lockdown safety is they almost have to be more of like a nickel corner to be able to do that consistently because the safety mm-hmm. usually has a lot of run support responsibilities and things like that. But we've seen it be successful up in the NFL. We've seen it be successful, you know, a, a, across college as well. So I, I'm, I'm definitely not discounting that in terms of the rest of the defense though. Like, would you say potentially that that secondary is the weak point of the defense or is there another area of the defense that you're a little bit more worried about? I'm, I'm not. Um, obviously you lost two of your main guys and at, at linebacker and Eamon Ogbonguamiga and, and Calvin Bundage, but you bring back Malcolm Rodriguez, you bring back Devin Harper, you bring back experience and talent and the guys behind them, Lamont Bishop, who I really like. And I think they're really high on sophomore Mason Cobb. And there's some other young guys in there. Like the next generation of, of linebackers are going to be backing up Rodriguez and Harper and getting playing time. So maybe that's one. Um, I feel good about defensive tackle. Like I feel pretty good about the defensive line. I think Oklahoma state, it, it may not be a bunch of, you know, it's not Alabama's defensive line. Don't, don't get me wrong. And there might be more quote unquote talented from an individual player and player rating and recruiting standpoint. But I, I feel really good about Oklahoma state's defensive line. Brandon Evers is back. He's a redshirt senior. Uh, Jaden Jernigan, who's a redshirt sophomore is back. He played as a freshman. He opted out last year. He was really good. I'm curious what a year off does to him or for him but I think he's going to be solid. Israel Antoine's in his senior season. I, I love Antoine. I do. You got other red shirt so, uh, senior back in hay up in Sionia C. And then there's these other guys you brought in Aiden Kelly, who's a true freshman. And I'm intrigued by him and wouldn't be shocked if he got playing time. Colin Clay, who transferred from Arkansas and missed last season from injury is recovering. He's supposed to be able to play like that is immediate talent and depth. Like I really like him. I, I just, the defensive line I think is really solid. And then you add in the defensive ends, Trace Ford and Tyler Lacey. So Trace Ford is a junior now. Tyler Lacey, a redshirt junior. You've got Brock Martin, who's back, who's a redshirt senior. I mean, I understand everybody has talent. Um, you bring in like, Cody Walterscheid, Tyron. Like, there's the defensive line is going to be able to be disruptive for Oklahoma State. Like, to get to me, if I'm going to argue there's a weakness on this defense, I believe it is at corner. And that's not saying that it is a weakness. It's just it is the one spot that returns to me the least because Oklahoma State brings back like everybody but Eamon Ogbong, Amiga, and Rodarius Williams like pretty much everybody else who mattered and was a major impact player on this defense is back but Rodarius Williams was a huge piece we saw what the defense was like without him um, Ogbong, Amiga was a, a great piece at linebacker so they are significant pieces but I still feel like like I said they've been building this roster to fit this defense for the last four years I feel comfortable that they're going to have guys to step in and take those places. But if I have to pick a spot where I'm like, okay, I, I, that's my biggest question on defense. It is at corner. Do you have a true lockdown? If not, then they will play well. They will. But I think your lockdown shifts into safety. 
That makes sense. All right. So I do want to shift over to the offense, but, but before we do that, I need to throw it to a quick break. We'll be right back on the Rep Talk podcast. If you love the Big 12, then we have the show for you. The 10-12, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference. Forget the SEC, forget the Big 10, and forget national podcasts that only talk about Oklahoma and Texas. We talk about the Sooners and the Longhorns. We also talk about the Cyclones, the Cowboys, the Wildcats, the Mountaineers, the Jayhawks, the Red Raiders, the Horn Frogs, and the Bears. We love the whole Big 12, and we are available everywhere that podcasts are found. So go and find the 1012 Podcast and subscribe today. And we're back. All right. So um, we've already talked about the defense for, for Oklahoma State coming up this season. Uh, Philip Slavin from the 1012 Podcast is here uh, to, to talk to us about this Oklahoma State Cowboy team. So let's shift over to the offense, Philip. Um Obviously, last season didn't go the way that you would really want it to. There was offensive line issues early. Spencer Sander dealing with some injuries. Um, what what do you think is the biggest difference this year that gives you optimism about the offense improving? There are questions about the offensive line um, because we still don't know who the starting five are. That said, I think it doesn't. I don't think it necessarily matters. Whoever they name the starting five at all on the offensive line, it's immediately going to be better than last year. That's despite losing a second round pick. <laughs> okay. Um, here's the problem with Oklahoma State's offensive line last year, and why everybody who wants to dog on Oklahoma State, and I thought there was too much hype going into the season, anyways. But before the season began, before the first game kicked off, you lost three guys from your two deep. You lost two starters, one to retirement, and then another potential starter and backup to being basically booted off the team, transferring, however you want to put it. Then in your first game against Tulsa, not only did you lose Spencer Sanders for a few games, you lost two more offensive linemen for the season. So before your first game was over, you lost five offensive linemen. Go to any team not named Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, and find me a school that can lose five offensive linemen from probably your two deep, and it's not going to have offensive line struggles throughout the year. They had to play musical chairs all the time. Now, yes, you still had Tevin Jenkins, you still had Josh Sales, but you were throwing in Jake Springfield, bless him, great kid, walk on who earned a scholarship, right? And he's still a young guy. Like, that's what you had to deal with last year. And guys were getting banged up. You missed Tevin Jenkins for the last like three games because he was hurt and just went ahead and said, I, I got to call it quits because he was getting ready for the NFL. Like this offensive line dealt with so much attrition last year. You, you're, you're, almost, you're going to be better off just because you can be healthy. And if they are healthy and stay healthy, I think this will be a significantly better offensive line than it was last year. You get Josh Stills back at left guard. He's a stud. He's going to get drafted. You bring in Danny Godlevsky, graduate transfer from Miami of Ohio, who started, I can't remember how many games, mind you. Like, he's, he's got plenty of starts. Yes, it's the G5 level, but anybody who starts in the FBS, he immediately took over the center spot. Um, and then you bring in Caleb Etienne, who's a Juco guy, who's a beast. He's a, he's a big in. Um, and at this point, I think he's going to start at left tackle. So if you had to ask him about the offensive line, basically from center all the way to the left side, I feel really good. I feel really good about what they have. The question just becomes, what are the two spots on the right? I, everyone's kind of got different projections. I think it's Hunter Woodard. I think it's Hunter Anthony. It's a couple of redshirt juniors. Um, they've been good. I believe Hunter Woodard had a pretty decent rating by PFF when I went through and reviewed everything. Mind you, it's been a while since I've done the, the offensive line rankings for our show. So it's been a while since I've like done my deep dive into the offensive line. But I recall Woodard being pretty good. And I, and I liked both of them. Now, neither of them are just like, holy cow, these guys are awesome. But I think... 
I think this offensive line is going to be better. And that's good for this team because you're replacing so much receiving production, so much rushing production. And you got a quarterback who, I mean, let's be honest about Spencer Sanders. He's had some brilliant, amazing moments. He's also had two games in particular where he cost the team the game. He did single-handedly by making multiple, 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 multiple mistakes, turnovers. Texas Tech two years ago and Texas last year. So, I don't remember what the question was because now I've gone too far on a tangent. But I'll oh, well, say this. The- no, you've you've gotten there. It's really it was, and and I'll to kind of focus you on on how you're going to wrap this up <laughs> is more of a like what's different about this particular team that's going to help the offense take a step forward. And I'm starting to wonder based off what you're talking about with everything that you're having to replace, if you actually expect this offense to be better ne- next year or this year, I should say. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this, and this has been my whole talking point for Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State will go as far as Spencer Sanders takes them this year. Like, the defense is going to be good. The defense is the Big 12 pretty good. The offense are pretty good. We see what happens with teams in this league who have really good defense and, and okay quarterback play. West Virginia, TCU. Like, it's a nice – you're going to get a, somewhere between a 5-7 and seven and 7-5 seven and five season. This team will go as far as Spencer Sanders can take them. Now, Big 12 Media Days, Mike Gundy said that this offseason was basically – Spencer's taken a bigger step this offseason than he had the previous time he'd been at Oklahoma State. And Gundy is not one to blow smoke up our butts. He's not. He's not one to just praise something for no reason. The only time he's ever done that and been wrong to me was he praised the offensive line in the offseason one year, and it turned out to not be very good. That's fine. I will trust him more on quarterbacks as he's played the position coach position than I will on offensive line play. This is the first time that Spencer Sanders has gone into a season with the same offensive coordinator and quarterback coach he had the season before. He's had a different one every year until now. Throw in the fact that Casey Dunn was a first-time offensive coordinator. Not just his first season as offensive coordinator at Oklahoma State, a first-time offensive coordinator in a COVID year. It's not a good combination of things to have. He got banged up a couple of times. He had an offensive line that was banged up and not playing well. You had a Chuba Hubbard who had dealt with COVID and was banged up and not playing very well. We can sit here and say Oklahoma State disappointed, and they did, but it completely is taking all context of why they disappointed off of the table and just saying, well, that's OSU. Like, yes, but also no. Um, if Spencer Sanders really does take the step, if he cannot make the mistakes that he does and not – fumble the ball three times in a game or four times in a game or make just awful passes. I mean, to, to the defense, if he can cut down his mistakes and, and be better, spread the ball out more, but just be better. This team has a chance to have a nice season. Yeah. I'll I mean, point out for last point. I will point out for everybody who keeps saying Oklahoma State had a disappointing season last year because they were supposed to make the big 12 title game or whatever, but whatever expectations they already put on them. Right. If you don't lose the Oregon State and the whatever FCS team they were supposed to play last year games, I think it's a 10-win season. And that's, y'all want to call that disappointing. That's that's fine. Um, I think most of you would take a 10-win season tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, it's definitely one of those games where, or seasons where, you know, a lot of things changed as the year went on and kind of like you talked about, you know, the defense got more and more beat up. The offense had huge handicap. I mean, we saw with with the Kansas City Chiefs in the Super Bowl last year, when you're down to your, you know, full entire backup offensive line or even sometimes third stringers, your offense doesn't look the same at all. Even your 
best. Like it took, it took uh, Patrick Mahomes, you know, making absolutely insane plays that weren't caught, even with that offensive line for Kansas City, um, you know, to even have a chance. And and it didn't matter because the offensive line was so bad he couldn't get set up for anything. So it's like it's one of those things. Even with a transcendent talent like that, if your offensive line isn't good, you've got problems. And o- Oklahoma State not only had an offensive line that was beat up and, you know, they lost a whole bunch of people were having to get, you know, have people learn on the fly, but you know, it led to the quarterback getting injured and then him having to come back from an injury later in the year. So like, I think overall what they did last year was, was probably about the best you can expect given all the challenges they had at the beginning of the year. And and you kind of talked about that. What I do worry about this year though, is while the offensive line seems to be better and, and you know, the, the quarterback is probably going to be more stable um, you talked about losing a bunch of production. So who who are the key guys that they lost last year, and who do you expect to actually step up and take that mantle and give them good production this year? Um, so let's look around at the offense. Obviously, <laughs> you lost Tylen Wallace. You lose Dylan Stoner. You lose uh, Landon Wolf. Um, you lost most of your receiving yards from last season, um, which isn't always the most ideal situation for you sitting in, of course. Um Gundy said at media days that they do not have a premier wide receiver on the roster right now. There is not a, another James Washington or Tylen Wallace waiting in the wings or so we're led to believe. Right. Um, and I, and I believe him because he, I remember him talking about when they figured out Tylen Wallace was going to be awesome when James Washington was still there. Like they're usually pretty good at being like, okay, that guy's, that guy's going to be awesome. So I don't, uh, this, this feels like it might be that stretch between James, uh, uh, Justin Blackman and James Washington, where they had good college receivers, but they didn't have a guy. Now that doesn't mean they don't have good wide receivers. Oklahoma state does a pretty good job of bringing in developing wide receivers. Uh, number one is going to be Brennan Presley. And if you saw the game again, the bowl game against Miami, you'll understand dude was electric and put guys on skates. And I, he's a sophomore. He's only five, eight, but he is a Swiss army knife. I, I hate making comps. And I say this every time I hate making comps because people always then think you're saying that this player is going to be this player, but I need to use this comp. When Oklahoma state had Tyree kill, it didn't know what to do with him. We see what he is in the NFL. He's this versatile, crazy weapon that you can line up anywhere and do anything with. And Oklahoma state was just like, all right, well, you're just, you're a running back and a, and a returner. Brennan Presley is their second chance at getting it right. Now I'm saying again that Brennan Presley is Tyree Kill, but if you want the comp for how you should be using him all over the field, line him up outside, line him up inside, line him up at running back, let him catch the ball out of the backfield, like that is what Brennan Presley should be. Brennan Presley is going to annoy opposing teams this year. He's going to, and I'm going to love it. Uh, Tay Martin uh, will probably take over um, the, the Z position, which is what I think what Tylen did. I always forget X. Z, which one's which? Forgive me, I know I'm supposed to know these things, but good for goodness gracious. Yeah, you're fine. Um, Tay Martin transferred in from Washington State late before the season started, so he's got a full season. He's going to take one of the starting spots. I'm, I liked some of the things I saw from him. Um, I'm not sure who's taking the other spot. Maybe it's Braden Johnson. Uh, maybe it's Rashad Owens. Maybe one of the true freshmen, the Green Twins, Blaine takes it. Um, they have a they have loaded up on wide receivers the last few years. You've got one redshirt senior in Braden Johnson. Tay Martin's a senior. Everybody else is like freshmen and sophomores. Okay, so it is a young wide receiving core. I'm curious which one step up. I am. Um, 
I'm curious what happens with Spencer Sanders when he doesn't have the security blanket that was Tylen Wallace. Can he actually go through his reads and hit different receivers? Because if he can, I think this is one of those, it's a really good unit that doesn't have a Tylen Wallace on it right now. Now maybe I'm wrong and maybe he lied and, and maybe there is one of those guys waiting in the wings. We just don't know who it is yet. Um, so that's wide receiver. Let's move over to running back. Chuba has gone, as we all know. No more Chuba. He's off to the NFL, uh, backing up uh, Christian McCaffrey or C-Mac or whatever. CMC, CMC, not C-Mac, sorry. I'm tired. Um, Gunny basically said that they have like four or five guys I think they can run, you know, 15, 10 to 15, 12, 15 times a game as opposed to having one guy they run 18 to 20. Um, and I think that's accurate. Now, look, I've been doing some research and I haven't printed the article out. I haven't finished writing it because I don't have time to write an article right now, so I'm just going to use it when I go on interviews. OSU doesn't have a great history of success under Gunny when they don't have both a uh, a marquee or a, an elite wide receiver or a go-to running back. It's not it's not great seasons. Which, if you want me to point out to why might OSU not have a good year this year, that would be why. But I do like the depth they have at running back. LD Brown is probably going to start redshirt senior. He is talented. He cannot handle a 20 carry a game workload. He will wear down. So he will be backed up probably by Desmond Jackson. Uh, Richard Sr. was a Juco kid. He, he's been pretty good. They brought in Jalen Warren, grad transfer from Utah State, which I'm intrigued by. They've got Dominic Richardson back. He's or he's a back. He's a sophomore this year. Um, they've got some other guys, Zach Middleton and Jaden Nixon, who are, are going to compete for starting time. I mean, they think they have four or five guys. I think they have four guys. And I'll be really interested to see how they handle a running back by committee. OSU hasn't had to very often, and when they have had to, it hasn't been the best. Um, they tend to need a a guy. Can LD Brown be that guy? Yes, but they're gonna. Ha- he can't be the 20, 22 times a game. Like they have to use the other guys. He will wear down by the end of the season, and that that is not what they want to have happen. All right, so I think we've fully covered the offense. It sounds like it's going to be an interesting ride for this team, regardless. Uh, you know, It's going to require quite a few people to step up, I think, for them to have a, a super successful offensive season. But uh, so, so let's, let's go ahead and jump into the schedule um, because, obviously, you know, how all this comes through in the season is going to depend on matchups and you know, where they catch people. Um, so we'll, we'll start with the non-conference they you know, have Missouri State and then Tulsa coming the first two weeks of the season uh, and then travel on the road to Boise State. How, how worried are you about that Boise State game? Do you think this is an instance where, you know, you potentially, especially early in the season, could could see Oklahoma State drop that game? Or is that one that you would fully expect them to, to win? Depending upon what day you ask me that question, I will probably <laughs> have a different answer for you. Um I go back and forth between that is a trap game of all trap games. Um, and, I, and that's almost insulting to say Boise State because they are a really good program. But you bring a lot of back as far as players go, quite a, quite a bit, but you have a whole new coaching staff. And I understand that they promoted from within, but it's not the same thing. Um, should Oklahoma State beat Boise State in Idaho? Yes, I think they should. I'm, I'm sorry. I like Boise, but this is not the Boise of right. playing Georgia on a neutral side, beating Virginia Tech, knocking off Oklahoma with a loaded flag. It's just, it's just not, it's, it's, it has, it's not Chris Patterson. And, and now it's not even um, the former Harson. coaches at Auburn. Harson. Yeah. So thank you. I, I, I think Boise is still a brand. I'm not sure if they're as good as their brand 
is at this point. I mean, how long has it been since they won them out in the West title? Oklahoma State should go to Boise State and win this game. Um, But I think the best way to view this for me is looking at the first five games on the schedule. Missouri State, Tulsa, at Boise, Kansas State, Baylor at home, and then you get your idle week. I think they are four and one through this stretch. And the problem I'm having is I'm not sure which game I think they lose. If I had to pick one, it would either be Boise State on the road uh, or it's Kansas State to open Big 12 play because Oklahoma State, last year, Oklahoma State won their Big 12 opener. It was the first time they had done so since 2015. OSU just seems to stumble. And it's not like every conference opener was against somebody really good. Like, it, so they don't have that to like, use as an excuse here. Um, I think they start 4 and 1. Could they be 5 and 0? Absolutely. This is not a murderer's row of, of, of starting five games, but I feel like OSU loses a game they shouldn't. They usually lose they they tend to lose a game early. They will trip up somewhere and start 4 and 1. Yeah, I I think that that's fair. I mean, that that Kansas State game, what, what was there anything specifically about that game that you wanted to talk about? Last year's game was a defensive affair. Um, was a real nail game biter was back one and of the forth, most but... disgustingly gross yeah. things I've ever had to watch in my entire life. Fair. If the Kansas State fans like, no, it was a great first half. Like, no, it wasn't. It, it, it was, it, it was a defensive affair because both offenses just couldn't do anything. Like, I don't even oh, know if it was necessarily so, so much about the defenses playing really well. It was that the offenses had so many unforced errors. It was just, it was ugly to watch. Like, no, I don't have a certain thing on like Kansas State. I mean, they, I think they'll be better this year because they'll be healthy. I think they can Skylar Thompson back should help them a lot. And I almost hate being like, yeah, they might go seven and five because somehow they'll find a way to go eight and four, nine and three, because it's Kansas state. And, and I like the coaching staff and what they're building there. And I think their offensive line will be better this year. But I also have, we go through our, our position group rankings on the 10, 12, and I've got multiple where they're either in last place or second to last or third to last. They've got really good groups, but they got some, I just don't buy. Um, yeah. But then again, it's Kansas state. Like, it could be a game where K-State returns two special teams touchdowns and, and win right. That's, that's the biggest thing with Kansas State is, like, when they surprise people, it's because they perform extremely well in the in the areas that most people think don't really matter that much. Like, they either have a huge impact, like special teams, with return touchdowns, or, in general, it's just like, meh, it doesn't really do anything. And so, like, that's, I think, the biggest problem is that when you're that good at one phase of the game in special teams, which they always seem to be, it can... It, it can cause really high variance where you win games that you don't necessarily think you should because you have gigantic, huge momentum swinging plays at that one spot, at that one position, where it's just kind of like, wait a minute, what just happened? Like, there's no reason that this team should be as good as they are. Um, and it's because it's that one particular phase. So I, I, I do agree with you. I'm, I'm very curious about Kansas State this year. I don't know that they're necessarily going to beat that great this year. I think this might be a disappointing season for them unless Skylar Thompson can come back and just absolutely kill it. And I just don't know that he has the weapons to do that. So like this, this particular game as the big 12 opener, I think is actually kind of perfect for, for Oklahoma state in terms of that's who you want. If it's going to be a, a, a good team uh, to play there, because I don't know that Kansas state's going to have it figured out in terms of, you know, getting all the, whatever weapons developed for Skylar Thompson that they need. So uh, let's jump into the second half of the schedule here, right after the bye, they go to Texas and they go to Iowa state before, yeah. before they welcome Kansas in. Of those two particular games, like I, I think I think I might know which one as a as an Oklahoma State fan you might want to win more, but which one do you think <laughs> is the most important game of those two? Oh, first off, I hate let me put it. I've gotten to the point where this stuff where I don't like being like 
they're going to win this game and lose this game. Like, I'm not going to do it. I would say they split these two. Um, you're getting Texas. You're coming off of an idle week. And I did this story for like two years ago. Gundy off an idle week's not like, we're not looking at Andy Reid numbers here. People right. like, it, he's fine. Um, but for Texas, they're coming off of road game at TCU, Oklahoma and the Cotton Bowl, and then Oklahoma State. So yes, they get Oklahoma State at home, but Oklahoma, Texas has started the season again is Louisiana at Arkansas, Rice, Texas Tech at TCU, OU, Oklahoma State. If I had to pick one, I think Oklahoma State wins. It's the Texas game just because that is a that is a tough stretch for Texas uh, for anybody. Like that is a gnarly stretch right, right. of games for anybody. So I feel like advantage is Oklahoma State. I feel like they split these two. I don't think they lose both of them. I don't think I, I don't. Um, I will not pick Oklahoma State to be Iowa State because I have not done so the last couple of years, and Oklahoma State seems to win that game despite that fact. So uh, I'm being a slightly, just just slightly. Uh, not paranoid what's the word i'm looking for superstitious individual um i'm not gonna pick them to win that game so i think they split there i'm sorry andy well okay so Uh, but really though back to the question i actually asked which one do you want more or which one do you think is more important to try like if 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 we take for granted that they win one of those two games and lose the other one which one do you think would be better for oklahoma state not necessarily more likely but which one do you think would be the more important one for them to win this game is in Austin. Whether you think Texas and Oklahoma leave the Big 12 after this season or the next one, the likelihood of them staying three seasons is pretty, pretty, pretty slim. So with that in mind, this is likely Oklahoma State's last trip to Texas for, God knows, the foreseeable future. The face of Texas in Austin. So if I had to pick one where I'm like, that one, it would be that one. It would be going into Austin and doing what Oklahoma State has done a lot over the last decade and beating the Longhorns in their own stadium. Yeah, yeah, it's one of those things for sure. Like, I think the vast majority of people are going to pick beating Texas every single time this season, especially. So uh, I, I definitely agree. I also agree with you that, right, because it's the last one's going to be in Austin, and I'm definitely wanting to cause as much pain for for Texas as completely possible that I am – fully on board with the idea of that's the most important one. Let's call Texas as much pain as we can on the way out the door in terms of, you know, beating that, that football team. So I am all for it. I also do think kind of like you, that it's more, more likely that they're going to beat Texas. Um, I do think like if you beat Iowa state, it's probably considered to be a bigger win this year, because I just don't think that Texas is going to be as good of a team as Iowa state this year. Um, But for purely selfish reasons, I definitely would much rather that Oklahoma state beats Texas than Iowa state. Um, between 2010 and 2017, Oklahoma State beat Texas in Austin five straight times. That's crazy. Let's let's uh, let's end it on a high note. Yes, let's. Do I'm going to try. I'm doing my best not to be a petty fan with everything that's no, going. Okay, on okay. I'm not going to on 10 12. I'm really no no really no. Not. There's a difference between. But being as an a, OSU fan, like right, there's a difference you, between being yeah. a petty fan when it comes to your team specifically playing that team, and you can be as petty as you want. In terms of analyzing how good teams are, there's a big difference between, you know, letting letting your petty fandom mess with the way you analyze a particular team as opposed to just you want to beat the crap out of them when you actually get to play them and <laughs> embarrass them as much as possible. So I, I fully support the Texas and Oklahoma. I want to see them get embarrassed as many times as possible this year. Um, I don't know it's going to be necessarily that many for Oklahoma, but there's a lot of opportunity for, for us to embarrass that Texas football team from different teams in, in the Big 12. That being said, if Texas ends up actually being really good this year, then I will give them the respect that they deserve for being really good this year. So, 
All right. Um, I, I do agree with you, and, and we're kind of running a little short on time, so I don't want to dive too much into this Kansas game. But uh, um, how, how painful do you think this is going to be for Kansas fans? Here's my, my bit on this game. This is homecoming, and it's on Saturday, October 30th. I would love to go to homecoming. I have two small children, aged two and a half and one. I am not going to be going to Stillwater for Halloween weekend. So boo on you guys for doing the like whatever hundredth celebration of homecoming. I forget what's hundred, two hundred, whatever, hundred fiftieth. It's a big one um, on Halloween weekend. Uh, shame on you. Uh, this sucks, and it's the Big 12's fault because basically the entire month of like there's a four game stretch for Oklahoma State plays three road games, and that's the only game they can put it on unless they wanted to do it early or late. So that's about as much thought as I have upon Kansas football. That's fair. That's fair. All right, uh, we have time to talk about one more. And, I mean, while I think that those West Virginia, like the at West Virginia, the game against TCU and at Texas Tech could potentially be interesting, obviously Bedlam to end the year um, is going to be a big game. It's going to be a super important game no matter what the standings are, um, given the fact that this could be the last time we actually have Bedlam in the conference and is at home for Oklahoma State. How big is that game going to be? Do you nest? I mean, other than the obviously you want to beat Oklahoma in Bedlam, um, like, do you think, I, I guess really that's, that's what the question is like, how big of a game is this going to be and how important is it going to be to beat Oklahoma in this game? Assuming that, that, that you even think that that's possible. And you and I've been doing the 10, 12 for long enough. Now you should know my stance on Bedlam. A, as we mentioned on our bucket list episode, I'm going to go to this game as I've never been to a Bedlam football game in person for various reasons. Um, look, I, I will pick OSU to win Bedlam after they do it again. It's been since 2014. That's because Bob kicked the ball again um, and Tyreek Hill saved the day. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm not picking, I'm not picking OSU. If you want me to tell you how Oklahoma state wins this game, I can't tell you what anything is going to look like between now and November 27th. So I will pick OU now, just like I will keep picking Oklahoma until Oklahoma state actually wins one of these games again. Uh, because I have no, like, it's not even about hope. It's just like, why? Why am I going to? All right, let's do it this way then. What would it take to happen the rest of the season so that a win against Oklahoma and Bedlam would not make the season a successful season? Hold on, repeat So so, Okay, okay. So uh, let's let's operate, even though both of us have a hard time seeing how that would actually happen. Let's Mm -hmm. assume that Oklahoma State wins against Oklahoma at the end of the season in Bedlam, okay? Okay. Okay. What would have to happen throughout the rest of the entire season for, for that not to be considered a successful season for, from Oklahoma State fans? Uh, nothing. Okay. So, so like, even losing to Kansas, it would still be a successful season if they beat Oklahoma okay, well, at the end of the well, year. Well, not that. Uh, but if you're losing to Kansas, you probably your program and your team is probably so beat to snot that you're not beating Oklahoma. Like, like I understand the question. Um, and I will tell you from the, the Oklahoma State fan base mindset, like 2014, Mike Gundy was almost going to get fired. Um, they were five and seven. They had lost like six in a row. And then somehow they went into Norman. Bob kicked it twice. Oklahoma State pulled off the massive upset. They went to a bowl game and won. And the Mason Rudolph era began. And people look back on 2014 despite how terrible that six-game stretch was. I mean, it was a god-awful six-game stretch. That was a terrible Texas team, and they just pounded Oklahoma State. They were so unhealthy. And somehow OSU won that game. And people look back on that season positively. Okay, That's Fair. that's the mindset, because they beat OU 
so rarely because Gundy has done it two times total. I understand there's some close ones and I don't want to talk about the close calls that somehow the Sooner Magic always wins out, but that's the view on Bethlehem. Okay. If OSU were to be, again, Oklahoma State could come into this game five and seven. They could come into this game four and eight and be four and seven, seven or whatever and be eliminated from bowl game. If they won Bethlehem, it would make the season one to remember. That's how Oklahoma State views Bethlehem. That's how Oklahoma State fans view Bethlehem. I know OU fans are viewing it that way. That's fine. Whatever. That's cool. That's how OSU fans view Bethlehem. Yeah, I, I, I can definitely relate, you know, in terms of uh, Kansas versus like Kansas State and basketball. It's not so big to Kansas fans, but if Kansas State wins, it like makes their entire season. So I completely understand that. It's just the way it is when one team is, it has had a lot of success in a particular matchup or, you know, is the better, the better regarded team nationally or things like that. So I definitely yeah. understand how that is. And honestly, going the other way, if Kansas beats Kansas State in football, we are going to bug the crap out of them about that for the longest time that I can think of. We did it to Nebraska when we finally beat them in 08. Um, so, or, or that, that, uh, that 2007, 2008 season. So I definitely understand that. All right, Philip, we are out of if time. If, OSU, Go ahead. if Oklahoma State wins Bedlam this year, they will they will let Oklahoma leave early just so they can have just so they can be say this is the final, last one. Right. Final matchup situation of like, well, I guess we can't play again because we won the last one and that's how we're gonna end things. Kind of like we were talking about on the 10-12, you know, that like I think Nebraska fans would almost hope that they win next season's game against Oklahoma so they can have that seven year window of, you know, just saying, ha, we won the last one. Uh, yeah. All right. All right, Philip. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you haven't already, please to go out wherever you get your podcast, which Apple podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, any other million apps that are out there. Just search for rock chalk podcast and you can subscribe to every or su- subscribe to it there. So you can get every episode as soon as it comes out. Uh, if you can give us a rating review, five stars, nice comments, it'd be absolutely great. If not, just let us know what it is we, we can be doing better. We really do bring the podcast to you guys to get you all the information you need in as entertaining a way as possible. So if you ever have any comments, questions, suggestions, people you want to try to interview, anything like that, just contact me by email at rockchalkpodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at rockchalkpod. Um, you, now that we're on Anchor, you can leave us a voicemail so you can get your voice on the show. Just go to anchor.fm slash rock-chalk-podcast slash message. Uh, but that's going to do it for us. Make sure you catch Philip, uh, everything that we're doing over on the 1012 Network by going, uh, you, you can find it all on Twitter at 1012 Network. Uh, that is T E N number one, two network. And uh, yeah, there's a, there's a bunch of new shows over there. We have a new one. When this comes out, we actually have a new one joining the network. That announcement will already be out there. Um, so I'm not going to spoil it here just in case somehow someone finds out this audio beforehand, but it's going to be absolutely fantastic. So make sure that you guys follow it over there. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll catch you guys next time on the Rock Talk podcast. Podcast Network.